Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway. And I'm Cameron Conway. And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway, here with Cameron Conway. And today we're going to talk about challenging core beliefs. Last week, in the podcast that we did about the book Simple Money, it had me thinking about money scripts and the beliefs that we can have subconsciously attached to them that drive our behavior and can kind of cause us to self-sabotage in a lot of ways. And in last week's episode, I had kind of quoted one of the author's sources, which was Byron Katie's book, Loving What Is, where she tried to position rewriting money scripts in four simple questions, which was basically, is the money script true? Can you absolutely know it's true? What happens when you believe the money script? What would you be without it? And then, of course, the suggestion to modify or rewrite the script. And after that, I found myself asking, really? Like, is that all it? Is it truly that easy to change a core belief or to even create a challenge to something that's been in you, deep within you for years and years and years, possibly all the way back to your childhood? Yeah, it's as simple as just shaking your head really fast and just flipping that proverbial switch and everything is all better, right? Well, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And then we wouldn't have to be talking about it. There wouldn't be so many problems where people are feeling that they're stuck in habits that don't represent themselves or that they're acting out with their money in ways that they know that they shouldn't be, but they're doing it anyways because they truly feel like they can't change. So this is not my area of expertise at all. But the reason for this episode today is that sometimes, by chance, things intersect in our lives. and. One of those intersections kind of happened for me this past week, and I wanted to bring it all full circle in the podcast today. And I'm going to be pretty transparent here. Uh, Recently, I started therapy, and I mean, that's kind of part of the intersection between being 39 and having a cancer diagnosis and having to deal with all of the things that come with that. No shame. I'm totally in support of doing this. This was actually my second session. And unbeknownst to the fellow I was talking to, he kind of said, you know, hey, what's bothering you today, Christine? And kept asking why, why, dig into those thoughts deeper until he got to the core idea. And at the end of the session, he didn't call it a core belief or anything like that, but he sent me some handouts and the handouts were all about core beliefs. And I thought, okay, this isn't just happenstance here. This is something that's tied to a thought that I've already got in my mind that I now have some tools to flesh out. So if you'd like to join me, you can kind of flesh this out with me. And we'll talk a little bit about how it relates to money, of course. But um, let's look at core beliefs. So what is a core belief? I understand it as being a person's most central ideas about who they are. So it's about themselves, but it can also be about other people and the world, their worldviews. Really, it's the lens or the framework that we experience our own lives. And if you put two people in the same situation, but those two people have different core beliefs, they will act differently and even experience the situation differently. Well, in many ways, it's kind of the narrative that people either assume upon themselves or other people kind of force onto them. But it is kind of that prism that everything kind of filters through. And yeah, that kind of overarching core belief, core narrative is what really determines a lot of your thoughts and actions and really your outlook on life. Well, that's right. It can restrict action. 
or it can cause action and it can cause a failure to take action. But more importantly, they're learned. And we have a tendency to just accept them as fact and ignore any information to the contrary. And even if they're not necessarily true, we believe them as if they are. So part of this process for me, as I'm really new in this journey, is identifying thoughts, identifying these things, challenging them, and replacing them with new thoughts. So straight from the source, straight from my therapist, um, in his handout to me, which I'm going to source here, it says the Center for Clinical Interventions at the bottom. Don't know where it's from, but that's what it says. Their test was actually very similar. So maybe this is what it is to Byron Katie's in the book that was referenced in the prayer podcast. So the list here is writing down the core belief that you want to test. Thinking of a few tasks that you could do to test the core belief yourself and write down what you would expect to happen if your core belief was true. But then you're supposed to do that activity and write down what actually happened when you carried out that task. So were you right or will you wrong? And compare the actual results with your prediction. So it's a challenge by experience, which I thought was actually pretty useful. This is no longer an exercise that's just happening in your head. It's something that you're doing. So in the instance of the conversation that you might be having with yourself where you're saying, I'm really bad with money. Well, you could examine the different steps that you take on a regular basis. Maybe you pay off your credit card regularly, even if it is only the minimum payment, but you're regularly making those payments. Or maybe you pay your rent on time every month and you haven't missed a month in over a year and you're really proud of that. Or maybe you've got a great credit score because you're just very responsible. And even if you've had a few ups and downs, it still looks pretty good on paper. These are all things that can challenge that belief. Because that initial thought that I'm bad with money, you're proving that it's not actually true. You're responsible. And the missing step is maybe there's just a few things that I haven't learned yet. So that's when bringing in a new alternative, maybe more balanced belief or just the one that you want to adopt can help and can make a lot of change in the actions that you'll take. Because once you start reinforcing the new belief, you start to see yourself as the kind of person that does those things. And as you identify with the kind of person that does those things that a good, responsible person that's good with money would do, maybe you start seeing positive change and take more steps in other areas of your financial life to improve it there as well. Well, but then on the other hand, the opposite could be true. You could go through this exercise thinking you are good with money and then you start documenting this stuff and thinking through it and you might realize that you, maybe you're actually not. Maybe you spend more than you thought or maybe you have different consistent reactions to things than you thought. So this can go either way. It can either reinforce something or it can make you aware of a shortfall somewhere else. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why the idea of thinking of a few tests or a few tasks that are tests, is really an interesting idea. So like if it's about discretionary spending for you, maybe you could get paid one week, put just the cash that you want to spend in your wallet until the next pay period and say, that's it, I'm leaving my credit card at home. Or if it's more about impulse control, you could either set a no shop day for a week. You've just got to be good on that one day a week and make sure that you have maybe other positive activity planned, like going for a walk or a coffee at a friend's place. 
Or maybe if on your way home from work after a stressful day, you find yourself frequenting the same shop, maybe it's just changing your behavior, changing your route home so you avoid the situation that creates a trigger for you until you feel more confident with your abilities, kind of walk past that place and not stop in the door. Yeah. And given that it's early November now, if you kind of do want to do that, avoid shopping, just set yourself a little mental thing that you'll do no shopping until Black Friday. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we're all going to go on a shopping frenzy. But I mean, that's what budgets are for, right? You can set limits for yourself, for the people that you love, for the people and choose who you're giving gifts to this year. But to go back to the steps, I think follow through becomes so important, right? There's a suggestion here on this paper that talks about writing down that new belief and carrying it around or writing down what is happening at the time you feel you get triggered or that you feel like you're getting challenged in some way. And it also recommends acting against your unhelpful belief, which is this idea of testing that we're talking. And I would say, like, I would endeavor to try and turn this into a habitual thing, that that new belief can be formed through repetition or through pairing it with a pre-existing habit or with making it part of a routine or, like we said, creating an environment that either makes it easy to do or that makes doing the bad thing hard to do. Like we'd said, if you're liking to shop, maybe you just go another way or set a temporary block on your web browsing to certain sites if you like to shop there. Or just delete the app from your phone for a week. <laughs> that can work too, right? So while I had all these thoughts going through my head this week about core beliefs and how to challenge them, late one night I was going to try and go to bed and I was picking up my phone really quickly actually to check something for the podcast. And I was flipping through the Libby app on my phone and I found a book that was just titled When the Body Says No. And downloaded, opened it. It was one of those quick read it in seven days and then it's got to be returned thing. And I was going to go to bed, but I ended up staying up for another two hours reading this book. And then I finished it the next day, found the time, and it absolutely punched me in the face in the best possible way. Uh, the author is a doctor who's done both private practice and he referenced his time working for seven years as a medical coordinator of the palliative care unit at Vancouver Hospital, among other things. And like I said, the book is When the Body Says No by Gabor Mate. And this book is absolutely changing my view on how we treat stress. Yeah, this is one of those examples where kind of timing is everything, because I actually went through most of this book over the summer, I actually picked up the audiobook version of it. I think I actually tried to talk to you about it. But yeah, the timing was right this time. I'm pretty stubborn. I'm a tough nut to crack if I'm not ready to hear something. But this book is one I'm going to buy. It's an absolute must read now. And I'm going to put it on my shelf. I'm going to go back to it often. And the thought for me, kind of the big summation that I got out of this was that our society is structured to demand so much from us. There's time stress, money stress, job stress, financial stress, the need to be constantly available to provide high levels of service, to make enough money honestly just to survive. And we're no stranger to people with second jobs and the gig economy. And people are always struggling. They're always hustling. And they're always under so much pressure about that money and how to get enough money to survive, and how to get enough money to retire, and to buy a house, or to just make it through the week and feed their family. So from that point of view, stress 
is becoming a catalyst that is so hard to avoid in our day-to-day life if we accept the norm of what we feel that we have to do just to live in society these days. Yeah, I know we kind of referenced this before, but over the past probably three months, there has been more and more reports and surveys coming out showing kind of how dire that financial situation has become on people's mental well-being, or more people are either depressed or they're very overwhelmed because of the money situation for whatever it is. But yeah, the amount of people under mental and physical strain and stress, depression, or anything else because of money has skyrocketed over the last few months. And it's just kind of continuing on. So this kind of talk about this kind of stuff seems more important than usually would be. Well, and you see it all over the place on sounding boards, discussion forums, places like Reddit, where people can anonymously talk openly about how stressful their life really is and how the money pressure really is building and the obligations are building and people are feeling like they're not getting anywhere. They're not moving forward ahead. So this book grabbed me because the author shares too many depressing stories about people that die too young from various diseases. It was about ALS. It was about rheumatoid arthritis, cancer, breast cancer, specifically autoimmune conditions. And I mean, for me, cancer with my own condition kind of really grabs me. And there were questions about the malignancy of the cancer. Why do some people in the same conditions, even those with genetic predisposition, which in a lot of cases, according to the author, is a very small chance. It's one of many factors that can set the stage for disease, but not necessarily the actual trigger that causes it. Why do some people develop illness while others do not? And why do some people's bodies have the ability to fight that illness off where other people succumb to it very quickly? And the author did something that I thought was just absolutely genius. He viewed the body as one being, one completely integrated system of thoughts, feelings, emotions, and stress reactions can confuse and overwhelm our body's systems leading to illness. Yeah, and kind of the irony is that if you actually look back at a lot of the research, this was, well, this more holistic approach was actually more popular early on during the Enlightenment era. And then it kind of fell off because people thought, oh, it's Freud's system that'll have the ultimate way. It's our ability to use drugs will have the ultimate way to deal this up. But Recently, over the last probably 10, 15 years, more research is showing that this sort of fully integrated self approach actually might be one of the better ways to go about it. And yeah, some of those old thoughts might actually have more validity than a lot of people decided to give them originally. Well, and I was surprised throughout the book, he referenced a number of studies. There is a surprising amount of research out there that backs his arguments. And like I said, this guy is a doctor. This guy has spoken to people in their last days of life that have nothing to lose and have helped him to create profiles of an emotional person going through real stresses in real life and to see a different layer of cause behind disease. So he refers to this interconnectedness of the system as psychoneuroimmunoendocrinology as one kind of big mashed up word, but it's all about the hormones. It's all about the glands and the secretions and how different things interact. And his point, I think the big main overarching point was that we are 
inundated by two different types of stress on a daily basis, more than ever, I feel like. I mean, we're not being chased like cavemen were by tigers, but we've got acute stress, which is that sudden horrific car accident or that sudden horrific event, that divorce, that loss of your house, that bankruptcy. That sudden horrific landlord or <laughs> Rogers or Shaw or some Anything. other bill collector or something else or your car payment. And you, instead of having the one line chasing, you've got about 30 or 40 chasing you. Anything that threatens your feeling of security and stability and your ability to survive, your survival is that question here. And then there's the chronic stress that Day-to-day lowers our immune system ability to fight disease. The author in the book talked about how your system gets confused. Your immune system is so confused, it can't tell good from bad because all of these stress hormones, all of this stuff that's depressing your system on a regular basis is kind of flowing through your body. And the organs, the glands, the hormones, all of this stuff is triggered. And it's creating kind of this kind of like Petri dish in your own body that when something truly bad comes into that place of being able to happen, there's nothing there to stop it. The natural triggers that would stop this are there. Yeah. In the book, they kind of covered how like rheumatoid arthritis is essentially your body turning on itself and seeing healthy cells as a threat. So which is where you get the pain, the stiffness, the joints, because your body is essentially attacking what it thinks is something that doesn't belong there. Or they also talked about how there's certain people have a genetic marker for MS and they're starting to show that stress well, this chronic acute emotional stress can actually switch on those genes and activate MS in certain people. So the author controversially talked about something called a type C personality. C being, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I think it represented cancer, with the idea being that there are certain people and the way that they are, the way that he went all the way back to the way that you're raised in your childhood and all the stuff that a psychologist would can predispose you. So it doesn't cause any disease, but it can predispose you or set the stage or create conditions where things can start to go wrong. So, I mean, here I am looking at my life and as myself for my own profiling, I've always viewed myself as an overachiever type. I would say I'm not the smartest person in the room by any stretch of the imagination, but I've always done well by outworking every person in it. And I've done that for years, Uh, long days, long hours, lots of education. And I mean, in addition to some lucky aligning myself with amazing people that have absolutely helped, being proud of being a hard worker and being pleasant and being available and providing good service was something that was always important to me. But then something like this happens and you start to question everything about the choices that you're going to make. So I want to talk you through some of the profiles and some of the core beliefs that the author talks about in the book, because there are statements that if you identify with are actually clues to how this might be playing out in your life or how your body could handle things in the future. And then it's up to you to kind of do the work, do the therapy, do the stress reduction, change the things in your life necessary. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be broke and alive than uh, overworked, stressed out, and not here in a few years kind of thing, right? And if that's the conversation, then this becomes really, really serious. 
So the personality types are this. The author talks about type A personalities, which are people that are maybe more angry and tense. They might be fast and aggressive, very in-control type people. Kind of made the comment, they're probably more prone to like things like heart disease. But we're talking about stress here. So then he looked at the type B, which is a more balanced, moderate person that can kind of feel and express emotions properly. Type B looked really close to type C, except... Type C repressed emotions where type B could process them properly. So type C would kind of avoid the anger, push it to the side, repress it to keep that I'm strong, I'm happy facade going on. These are people that are caregivers. These are people that put people ahead of themselves all the time. It might be a little bit more passive, don't like to complain, don't like to rock the boat want to keep the status quo, want to keep everyone happy, and they're ignoring what's going on inside themselves. Yeah. And a good chunk of the book is actually the author kind of going through like different examples of these kind of type C people and kind of going through essentially their whole life. What were, what were the major emotional triggers, how that resulted in illness and sickness and how they dealt with process it. But yeah, a good chunk of the book is actually just doing character studies of these types of people. And very interestingly, he created a profile for all the different illnesses that are discussed in the book. And I guess that came from his time in the palliative care unit, because like I said, when you're talking to people that know that are dying, they're going to be so much more open and honest. And it's only going to help the next generation of people, hopefully, to prevent this so that we don't have to go through it, right? But an example would be this, like he was talking about melanoma. So people with fair skin are more predisposed genetically. But of course, he would argue, not everyone with fair skin has cancer. So having fair skin alone is not it. UV damage, of course, can cause cancer, but not everyone who's ever had a sunburn gets cancer. So that alone is not it. Again, repression of emotions is not the answer, but a combination of the three was found consistently to cause problems. So I'm going to quote verbatim from the book, a study that was done, because I think this is incredibly telling. And I quote, in a series of three studies, researchers in San Francisco looked at the type C pattern of repressed negative emotions in melanoma patients. During an 18-month follow-up, they found a strong correlation between repression and the likelihood of relapse or death. Natural killer cells attack abnormal cells, thus providing a line of defense against cancer. NK cells have a demonstrated capacity to digest melanomas. In breast cancer, they are less active in emotionally repressed individuals. Then he talked about that a little bit more, and then I'm going to reopen the quotation a little bit further in the paragraph. These San Francisco findings confirmed the conclusion of an earlier 1979 study that melanoma patients who had a harder time adjusting to the diagnosis, in other words, whose responses were less accepting and resigned, were also less likely to suffer relapse, end quote. So let's look at challenging our core beliefs, the core beliefs of people that are profiled in this book that have been documented to have died too young, to have gotten sick too early, and who haven't made it, who have been subject to stress, to broken families, to divorce, to horrible things that happen to people on top of illness, before illness, or directly leading to an illness. 
the core beliefs that the author has written out create this profile. So I'm going to go through it now, and I strongly encourage you to pick up this book to dive into these in greater detail. Here they are. I have to be strong. It's not right for me to be angry. If I'm angry, I will not be lovable. I'm responsible for the whole world, but I can handle anything. I'm not wanted and I'm not lovable. I don't exist unless I do something. I must justify my existence. And finally, I have to be very ill to deserve to be taken care of. So if you see yourself in any of these, if you see yourself as a person that's chronically stressed, then an acute stress could be a trigger for you if your body's already in that state of confusion. There's huge benefit of making changes now while you're healthy to set the stage for a good, long, prosperous life. So the author concludes by giving us what he calls the seven A's of healing. And I'm going to read these out again. And this is all kind of self-work. This has nothing to do with your medical history. It has nothing to do with what your doctor will tell you about the physical condition you have. It has everything to do with who you are as a person, how you handle your thoughts and feelings. And again, if this author is right, and if these really are as indicated, if these really are as integrated as all of these studies show, then this becomes very important. So the seven A's of healing are as follows. Number one, acceptance. Willing to recognize how things are so you can have negative thinking, but it doesn't mean that you're becoming resigned. Number two, awareness. Those seeking to heal need to reclaim the lost capacity for emotional recognition of truth. Number three, anger. Repressed anger is a huge predisposition to disease. This doesn't mean you should start screaming in rage or taking it out on everyone. Anger doesn't have to be volatile. It doesn't have to be driven by, the author talks about how the rage is really a sign of anxiety and insecurity. It has to be just true anger that validates your feelings expressed and processed. You can do that with a certain sense of diplomacy. Number four is autonomy, boundaries. Being your own defined person, not overly dependent on others, either for your sense of self or actually physically dependent on others or seeing yourself as a caretaker of others. Number five, attachment. Understanding our relationship with the most important people in our lives that can be present and past. So all the way back to childhood. Did you feel secure? Did you feel insecure? Are there things there that are unresolved that need to be resolved because they're still, even if you shut them down with repression, they're still running in the background? Number six, assertion. This is a declaration to the world that who we are is who we are. This is a challenge, and this is right in the book, I smiled so much, a challenge to our core belief that we must have to somehow justify our existence. We matter because we're human. We matter because we are here because we exist. It's all we have to do. Number seven is affirmation. Valuing our own creative self. And this one takes a bit of a religious stage as well. Affirming the universe or God as you know him. A lot of people going through this will take a spiritual turn in their lives, take it as a chance to explore spirituality and the idea of what's beyond where we are today. 
So today we've looked at two very different profiles. The profile of what society itself demands from us, demanded through the cost of living, demanded through the lifestyle choices maybe that we've made on our own that we need to rethink, demanded by the financial pressures that we face to feed our families. And then we see the flip side of that. And you might be perfectly healthy today and you might think, you know what, everything's fine. I really don't have to worry about this, all this emotional mumbo jumbo stuff. Maybe it doesn't matter for me, but maybe it does, or maybe it will one day. And I certainly never thought that I would have cancer at 39. And I certainly never thought that there could be a side to it beyond just the happenstance of a disease. And maybe it is all bad luck and maybe we're wrong and maybe we're just looking to assign meaning and value, but that's what research is for. And I think that we have to kind of follow where the path leads us in the sense that if there are steps of healing we can take, if there are steps of understanding ourselves that we can take, what's the harm? How do we lose? This is a win-win proposition. And honestly, you can relate this back to money. I think I kind of went off topic today, but this means a lot to me. And I hope it can help you too. But challenging core beliefs, of course, there's an application in money too. But first, let's get ourselves in line. Let's take care of ourselves. Let's treat each other and ourselves as if we have value because we do. And it is so, so meaningful beyond money, beyond what we can create. It's who we are as people, as members of this human race. So let's wrap that up for today. I don't need a pedestal. (laughs) Soapbox is currently in the garage. So that was a little different than what we usually do. And honestly, I'm going through my own journey. So you're probably going to get a little bit of that in there too. If you don't like it, by all means, stop listening. Or listen to a different episode. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta keep that algorithm happy now. Oh my goodness. But I want to be as honest as I possibly can about anything I learned that I think is beneficial along the way. And if I can be of help to you through this, I'm happy to do so. So as I do the work on myself, as I go through therapy myself, as I find out more about how to actually change behavior, I'll bring it to the podcast. Sure, why not? And if anyone has any ideas that you'd like to hear, bring them to the Facebook group as well. I think that's probably enough to wrap today. If there's anything financial that you'd like us to look at, find us at Braun Financial, braunfinancial.com. If you'd like to talk, reach out to us through the Facebook group. Until next time, take care. And all the best.